Howdy there, my fellow distanced fellows. This is Peyton Zignego here with COVID Operation to bring you your daily dose of cheer. Happy Wednesday! That's right, you've once again made it halfway through yet another week, and so far it's shaping up to be a pretty decent week on our end over here. And by decent, I mean it's been pretty much the same as every other week, and you know what? Not exactly a problem at this point, because I don't know what else to expect now. I feel like if it was different, I would be sort of thrown for a big loop, and I wouldn't really know what to do with myself, because it's different, and I'm used to the same patterns, of course. Well, now. Anyway, I have a very exciting interview to get right into today. As you know, it's Wednesday, so that means it's time for another professional interview. Today, we're interviewing someone who I'm very excited about as well. Of course, I've been excited about all of our guests, to be totally honest, but I'm excited for this one too. So, he's great, and I hope you enjoy the first part of this interview. So, without further ado, take it away in the studio, Peyton, for some introductions. Thank you, Peyton. Uh, today in the Zoom studio, I am with a Toronto-based, award-winning author responsible for comics like The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, which is my personal favorite. And we have today, it's Ryan North. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. We were, we're very excited. Thank you for having me. So I thought we would start off the interview by, you know, starting off with like your origin as a, as a, like an artist and writer. So as a writer, which is a form of art. Uh, so what made you want to, you know, start writing? Like, uh, what did you, how did you get going with it? That's a good question. Uh, I had an interest in it, uh, but I didn't really do anything with it. I remember in high school, when I was applying to university, I had, well, I was torn between applying for the humanities, which would be, you know, arts writing mm-hmm. and computer science. And I ended up going with computer science. And then in my last year of undergrad, I started Dinosaur Comics, my, my webcomic. And I kept that up all through grad school. And then when I graduated, I sort of had this choice between, you know, getting a job as a computational linguist or becoming a cartoonist. And to become a cartoonist, all I had to do was fail to get a job, which is really easy. So I kind of <laughs> started into it. I kind of uh, took baby steps every step of the way. It wasn't so much of, of me saying, I want to be an artist and I will make that goal happen. It was, I like writing. I'll do it, and hopefully something good will come from that. I mean, it's very hard to... Um, I was going to say it's hard to make a living in the arts. It's hard to make a living, period. It's hard yeah. to make a living in the arts, especially, <laughs> because there's no, there's, no, uh, there's no guarantees. Like, if you have a regular job, and you work hard at a regular job, presumably your boss will notice, and you get a promotion or something. There's a, there's a course to advancement there towards raises. Well, in the arts, uh, the work you do is kind of disconnected to what you get up from it. Like, you can work really hard on something, and people don't care at all. When you can dash something off and people love it and it really speaks to them. And so this this disconnect means that um, it's very hard to predict what the future will be like. And it's also very hard if you tie your self-worth to the reception of your work. You're going to have a bad time because you have you only have like one tiny finger on the wheel. They don't really control what's going on. So all of that to say, I kind of slid into it backwards. <laughs> How do you, you know, go about dealing with the fact that it's not like a like a traditional job? Like, how do you, how do you work with it to make it a job? <laughs> I mean, there's the different strategies, right? I find uh, I've learned through trial and error that I do my best work in the morning, so I'll get up and I'll work. Uh, I'll start writing right away. Mm-hmm. I've learned I can't work in the evenings very well. I've learned that I work sober. I'll <laughs> 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 relax. Like I, I, I don't want to have a. I don't want to work when I'm if I'm having a beer. Mm-hmm. I remember when I graduated uh, grad school, and I told my parents I was going to 
be do the cartooning thing, do my mm-hmm. webcomic. My my father very seriously told me, you know, you have, you know, three years of grad school and four years of undergrad and 13 years of school before that, uh, none of which was for comics. <laughs> and so you are uh, in a very real way throwing away your education. And I was smooth enough to reply that uh, something he told me back in high school was that the purpose of university was not, you do learn, you do get stuff from higher learning, but the main thing is to learn how to learn and become independent learner and be able to take those skills and care with them for the rest of your life. So I bounced that right back to him and said, you know, this is what I've done mm-hmm. and I'm using these skills to something else. And uh, it took a while, but they did eventually come around. I think uh, I was lucky enough not to be immediately destitute doing web comics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that sort of helped them realize that this was to some degree sustainable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, when you talk about um, like your comic writing and the process, how do you get into the process of writing a comic? Like, do you have like a story idea concept that then becomes words and then becomes like something art is put to or how does that work out? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a process. Usually what I do is I'll take my dog for a walk. I'll try to figure out like premise or some some sort of one sentence. When I was writing Squirrel Girl, I'd try to figure out like what, who is someone she could go against and what could the story be about? So for example, remember for the, the Craven arc, the, the Craven arc, they get stuck in an escape room and then he gets arrested and builds up from that. The initial version of that was what if Squirrel Girl and Craven did an escape room? That sounds fun. <laughs> that would be fun. Mm-hmm. And so then I write an outline, which is basically for four issues of comic, I'd write maybe four pages of outline, just a bunch of like a breathless six-year-old saying, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. It's, I run through that. Mm-hmm. So I know where it's going. And I send it to the editors and they approve it or not. Uh, for the Craven arc, they did not approve it because, no, that's not true. I didn't approve it. I wrote out and I said, this is bad. <laughs> the reason <laughs> it was bad. So like, you're stuck in an escape room issue one. And issue two, somehow, like, the head that escape from the city. Mm-hmm. And then issue three, be escape from the world. Issue four, be, like, just escalating like that. And I'm like, this story is not about anything. It's just larger and larger states. Like, why are we, why are we here? Why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And so having written it out and realizing my idea was bad, I changed it to, well, what if they get arrested? And then it becomes a story about Squirrel Girl and Craven's relationship. Because in Squirrel Girl, he's kind of a good guy. In other books, he's kind of a bad guy. And how does, mm-hmm. how do we negotiate this? Became, then I realized, oh, this is what the story is about. I can write that. So then once I have the outline, I send it for approval. There's approve it. And then uh, I take that outline. I break it down. So break down for I have 20 pages. This happens on this page. This happens on this page. Mm-hmm. Once that's refined, I then write a page and on a good day I can do about seven pages a day. So it's progressively refining it until you have a comics page that you're happy with. Iterative, I guess, is the short version to that long answer. Yeah. So then in, in like the comic writing process, then you would you would write like your comic pages and then you would have the artist go in and, and like do the drawings and what have you. Is that how that works? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll write a script and the Kind of the secret of comics writing is you're not writing the script for the audience, you're not writing for the editor, you're writing the script for your artist because mm-hmm. they have the hard job. Um, it takes, you know, 10 seconds to write on this page, Squirrel Girl meets up with 100 squirrels, <laughs> and that takes all day to draw. Mm-hmm. So I try to make the scripts interesting for the artist. I'll put little jokes for them, like just in the scene descriptions, I'll have jokes for them or side mm-hmm. stuff like that. They'll never actually be in the printed page. And so when I write a script page, it's basically, you know, it'll say, all right, on this page, there's six panels. Here's panel one. We're in New York City. It's sunrise and squirrel girls walking down the street with Craven the Hunter, who's dressed in street clothes. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of it. Uh, it. It really is the easy job in comics to be the writer. <laughs> I recommend everyone do it. It's a pretty sweet deal. 
So how would you say, you know, working to uh, adopt things, you know, you worked on the uh, couple, several issues of the Adventure Time comic series too. Yeah, how did you, Yeah, oh, wow. How did you go from, you know, adapting something that, that's like a TV show into a, the world of comics? How does that process work? Yeah, that's a good question because I've done that with Adventure Time. I've just recently done it with uh, Vonnegut's book Slaughterhouse Spy, which is coming out this September. Everyone check it out. But the process with both was similar where I wanted the book to feel like it was at home in the medium. So if you'd never heard of Adventure Time, if you somehow never heard of Vonnegut and you picked up this book, you wouldn't feel like, oh, this is an adaptation of a novel or a TV show. You'd think, oh, this is a cool comic. And so for that, uh, I try to use little techniques that are that are native to comics, stuff you can only do in comics. Mm-hmm. Um, with Adventure Time, it was tricky because those are usually a 22-minute show and you'd have two episodes in each show. So that's like 11 minutes. And now mm-hmm. I'm doing four to two arcs. So I'm, I'm doing larger stories than we're normally there. So that's a change. Yeah. And for Vonnegut, it was the opposite problem where it can convey a lot more information in prose, a lot more words in prose than in comics. And so to turn a, comic, turn a prose novel into a comic book, you have to condense and clarify and distill and try to get down to its purest essence with the benefit of, you know, pitcher can... I'm not sure if it's a thousand words. You can do a lot of words with pictures, so try to convey that stuff non-visually, mm-hmm. or visually, rather. Um, so it's basically a process of trying to make the reader forget that they've s- encountered these characters anywhere else before mm-hmm. and make it feel like this is a comic book at its heart. What would you say, you know, the ad- advantages and, and dis- like if comics were like in a Venn diagram with like, right. like book or TV shows, what are like the advantages versus the like disadvantages of, of taking things and putting them in a comic medium? So, I mean, going from books, from prose to comics, the main advantage you have is that you have full control over the page, mm-hmm. especially if you're doing comedy. Uh, you don't know where a punchline is going to be in a book. It might be, there might be a page boundary splitting it. Mm-hmm. Because you don't control where the word lands on the page. In comics, you absolutely do. So you can have this great turn-the-page reveal and this wonderful pacing that you fully control in comics. And that's what I love. In in a TV show, the main difference is that uh, it's kind of a challenge because you don't have the voices. And these mm-hmm. characters have distinctive voices. So your your challenge is to make these characters be written so that the reader can hear the voice in their head. And so to do that, I would uh, do the voices out loud, especially for Lumpy Space Princess. All her lines I said out loud just to <laughs> capture what she said. Like. <laughs> so I write alone where no one can see me or hear me because it's kind of embarrassing to do a bad Lumpy Space princess, princess impression. But it's part of the job. You sign up for that. Yeah, it's in the description. <laughs> you yeah, will have to at some absolutely. point. <laughs> which actually is a very good transition to my next question, which was how do you Please. like keep in mind like the the character and the way that they speak when writing a comic? Because you're writing a lot of dialogue. So how do you mm-hmm. maintain, I don't know if integrity is the right word, of, of the character and their voice? Yeah, I think part of that is just being an attentive reader and attentive watcher so mm-hmm. that when you do reread your work, and I usually give it a day before I reread it, you reread it not as the writer, but as a reader. And then you'll you'll twig when something is wrong. You'd be like, oh, that, that doesn't feel right. I've stumbled over this. I stumbled here. Let's rewrite that so it flows more smoothly. It's kind of just being your own critic, your own worst <laughs> critic, and then hoping that uh, anywhere else in the pipeline, uh, the the artist will tell you, hey, this I, I changed this. It feels weird. Or the editor will fix it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's basically writing it, doing your best, and then literally sleeping on it, coming back the next day, and then 
punching it up, fixing stuff that you couldn't see at the time, but now you see doesn't work. And sometimes it's sometimes it's just a line. Sometimes it's a whole scene where you'll be like, oh, wait, uh, this character would have ended this scene two lines in. I need to cut these three pages. They don't make sense. Like None of them are real mm-hmm. because the character wouldn't do that. And you can usually feel when you're forcing a character to do something because it's there in your outline. Yeah. And when you actually write out the scene, you're like, oh, wait, no, this is this doesn't feel real because they wouldn't do this. They have to change your outline. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, your story feels fake. So this is a little bit of a different tangent, but sure. so when you've worked on things, you know, you've done um, your Choose Your Own Adventure, the Shakespeare, I believe you two yep. of those. So how does, how does that look? That, I feel like that, is it a different process when working yeah. with, <laughs> with Shakespeare as opposed to Adventure Time? I suppose, you know, maybe they're comparable mediums. I mean, <laughs> uh, I do like to say that I collaborate with, with my buddy Bill on a couple of books. Uh, Maybe heard of him, Bill Shakespeare. Uh, we've done a couple. We're always looking for a new project to do together. Um, yeah, those those were fun because you're writing a branching narrative, which means you don't have an ending. And my first draft of To Be or Not To Be, which was version of Hamlet, and then Romeo and Juliet was the version based on Romeo and Juliet, obviously. The first version of the Hamlet book, To Be or Not To Be, was 120,000 words, which is a lot. We cut yeah. that down to 90,000 for publication because mm-hmm. there's, no, there's no reason to stop. You can just keep adding endings, keep doing storylines. It's hard to know when you've, when you've written too much. Mm-hmm. The advantages are very easy to edit because you can just trim options. Like instead of having three options, have two, that whole decision tree just disappears. And now you've cut out. I think my record was... I cut out 15,000 words with one cut. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was a whole subplot, or sub-adventure rather, which in retrospect was bad, and I was right to cut it. <laughs> but it felt weird to be like, there's, you know, 15,000 words, done, gone, disappeared. Um, but yeah, it's a process of exploration where whenever you sort of reach a, a decision point, you get, instead of to think, what would this character do? You can think, what would this character have to choose between and then show both those options and explore until you feel yourself getting bored, Where you, at which point you can assume the reader is also bored mm-hmm. and then either stop doing that or kill them off and do something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is Shakespeare. That's, yeah. that's kind of how that works. Always, yeah, lurking in the wings. And I'm back. Hi. Well, that was very fun and super fantastic. And unfortunately, I will have to cut it short because gotta save the other half for next week of course you know how this works so we will be back with ryan next week on wednesday so stay tuned and don't you go anywhere too far away now a big thank you to ryan north for being interviewed on the podcast of course if you're itching for more ryan north content before next week you can go ahead and find all of his stuff at ryannorth.ca that's r-y-a-n-n-o-r-t-h dot c-a uh, yeah, so just his name, Easy Peasy Lemon Squeezy, and then he's got a fun little website there with all his stuff up there. So you can go ahead and check all of that out if you so desire, and you're encouraged to as well from me, an avid Squirrel Girl fan, as mentioned previously. Now that will do it for today. It has been fantastic, and I hope you had a good time. I know I did. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the show and you would like me to address them on Friday, you can email them to Peyton, P-E-Y-T-O-N, at storyarkark.org, and I look forward to hearing from you. As always, if you've got questions, ask them loud, ask them proud, ask them in my email inbox. Secretary Tapioca will delightedly answer them. And by answer them, I mean stand on my keyboard so that I can't answer them, and, well, you know how that goes. Well, I will see you tomorrow. This has been COVID Operation. I've been Peyton Zignego. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe out there. I'll be back tomorrow. Don't you worry. Peyton and Tapioca, over and out.